It's Monday, March 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Markerman. Happy Monday. Hey now. We're doing it. We are doing it. Welcome back. You've been busy. You've been busy. I've been and I said, a couple weeks. You're in yeah. S, uh, South by Southwest. That's so true. We've just been overlapping each other. There we go. It's good to have you back in the yeah, studio. Yeah, it's good to be back. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We got to start with a story that's been brewing for a little while. And I'll, I'll be honest, this is a story that I, I saw a headline on this a week or so ago. And I just, it just sort of registered like, huh, well, that's interesting. And it, it just sort of continues to balloon. And this is the fact that a week ago, Google formally apologized for running customers' ads alongside objectionable videos. And we've talked before about YouTube and how important it is in the world of search and how it's one of the most popular places to search. And you see these stories about if YouTube was a standalone company, it'd be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $75 billion. Google makes this apology a week ago, and here we are a week later, and I guess, among other things, Jason, probably a reminder that YouTube is a really big place with lots of videos, and therefore it's hard even for the owners to monitor because the Wall Street Journal had this big story about how Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Amazon, Procter & Gamble, these mainstream brands are still seeing their ads alongside videos with racist content, anti-Semitic, you know, just all of this stuff where the advertisers rightfully so say, I don't want my stuff. I don't want my ads next to that. Yeah, I mean that's uh, I, this. This is we're going to hit a point here um, sooner or later. I think it's going to be kind of like, kind of like maybe you do with your kids, right? It, it, they can say sorry only so many times until you're just like, look, I get that you're sorry. Just don't do it again. <laughs> right. Right. I mean that's I'm not looking for sorry anymore. Right. Um, and, and so I think that with with Google and with YouTube, I mean this is obviously something that. Uh, I mean, it is a big deal. I mean, it's not something that immediately impacts their bottom line. When we talk about the bread and butter for Google's money making machine, it is it is search advertising. But there is a good percentage, um, you know, close to close to twenty percent of that money comes comes through advertising with third party customers, and and so when. When ads go next to objectionable content, I mean, of course, those partners are going to express concern. They're going to know what's going on, why is this happening, and what are you going to do to make it stop? Because there is no sort of middle ground here. I mean, it is flat out. This is unacceptable. Don't don't right. let it happen anymore. And and so I, I this is sort of one of those things with the with this age of automation as we go more towards automating everything, particularly on the consumer facing side. I mean, I think it's really difficult. To ever fall back on the old, well, the algorithm did it. It wasn't our fault because ultimately, you know, someone built the algorithm. Right. Uh, so I think that what Google needs to figure out here um, is is what is happening to make this happen and how do they fix it, and and whether it is through technology, whether it is through humanizing this a little bit more, and and actually bringing on more people to sort of add a human touch. To these to these customer relationships, they need to do something with this before it gets out of hand. Because we've talked about this a lot, especially in MDP. We own shares of Alphabet and we own shares of Facebook. We own a far larger position in Facebook, and part of the reason for that is when you look at sort of the direction uh, things are headed in social and and uh, in internet behavior. I mean, it's there's no question that Facebook is becoming 
a place, not just Facebook, but its properties, whether it's WhatsApp or Instagram or whatever properties that they uh, buy in the future, that's a place where eyeballs go to hang out for a while. Google is, is more utilitarian in nature, right? You need some information, you find it on Google, then you go to your next place. Um, Facebook is catching up very, very quickly. And, and we've, we've expressed some concern that perhaps maybe last decade was the Google decade. Perhaps this next decade is the Facebook decade. If that is the case, and, and, and the numbers certainly point towards that uh, you know, argument at least being made there, uh, Google has got to figure out something yesterday as to how to address this and fix it, because blaming it on the technology is not going to fly. I'm pretty confident that they're going to figure out a way to fix it, yeah. uh, especially when you talk about Facebook. They had the whole issue around the election with fake news on their site, sure. and you had a group of college kids come out and derive an algorithm that was able to identify fake news on the site, and and they've been able to, not using their algorithm, but Facebook has been able to address that. I'm confident that Google will. And you talk about big headlines about this, but I'm waiting for the headline to come out that says, Right now, people think that less than 1% of Google's revenue is at risk because of this. It's a $90 billion revenue company. I've seen headlines that say $750 million might, might come off of YouTube's revenue in 2017 because of this. Small, Bigger fraction of YouTube's revenue, but you're not an investor in only YouTube when you buy stock in Alphabet. Um, so, I'm, I'm still confident that they'll figure it out. And between the two of them, Facebook and, and Google, they're pretty much the only two that are growing in the digital ad space. So. I find it hard to believe that advertisers are going to completely go move away from from Google because right now Facebook is the really the only alternative and th- that space would become far too crowded too quickly um, if there was a mass exodus from Google and I am fairly confident that because you said 20% of their revenue comes from that search search advertising they're going to figure this out it is a small amount of money and yet it is again you look at the headline of Pepsi Starbucks General Motors, Walmart have pulled some of their ad spend. Big with names, YouTube. yeah. Those sure. are big name companies. I think if you're Facebook, you're you're not throwing a parade over this, but you are probably. I think if you're selling video advertising for Facebook, you're on the phone to different media agencies. I also think the television networks. Yeah. I think if you're a broadcast network or a cable network, you are absolutely to use your phrase, Jason. You're putting the human touch to work, and you're calling these. Companies and saying, "Hey, listen, don't don't take a risk with sort of the programmatic algorithm approach with YouTube. You know what you're going to get with our networks, and you're going to get something that's going to associate well with your brand." With some of those companies you mentioned, though, they're companies that can afford to maybe pull back for a week or two on yes. advertising and make a statement, right? So that's almost advertising in itself. They're still advertising using Google's name, just not using Google's platform. Um, and so I think that they'll come back eventually, probably not too far down in the, down the line. And those those brands are brands already. So you're probably looking at the smaller players, questioning whether or not they can afford to back off of Google's platform a little bit more than Coke or or Pepsi. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting. Um, I mean, for the longest time, really, YouTube has been synonymous with online video, right? I mean, that really is what sort of got this ball rolling. And and they've enjoyed such a phenomenal competitive position for so long. I mean, what what an acquisition when when they when they bought that. For, I mean, what did they buy it for? One point six billion. Yeah, Pennies billion. on the just, current dollar. Just and the really re- absurd. The reason I remember it was one point six billion is because I was one of the people saying, "Boy, they sure did pay a lot of money for that." <laughs> um, so I, I think that you fast forward today and you see sort of how this 
how this competitive environment has changed. I mean, Google and YouTube are not the only players in the online video space, and we see all sorts of companies from Facebook and Twitter to Verizon and AT&T um, developing their online video offerings. Mm-hmm. And so, to your point, I think yeah, it's it's very easy to see these customers pulling back for a week, a month, and saying, "Hey, you know, let's reassess what's going on here." I, Google and YouTube are too big to just say we don't want to be a part of your environment. I mean, yeah. that, that's just mm-hmm. that's just foregoing. I mean, a tremendous reach that that um, I, I, I think just anybody in their right mind wants to be a part of that. But what it could do is it could result in some pricing competition sure, there. It can yeah. certainly make um, it can certainly make Google um, have to get in there and compete a bit more on pricing, lose a bit perhaps of that pricing power, particularly as we shift to mobile and we know those mobile um, advertisements are, are just not nearly as lucrative as as the desktops were, just from a real estate perspective. But um, these are smart people running a very, very big company. I mean, the solution to this really is as simple as listen to your customers, give them what they want. Mm. And so, from that perspective, I don't see any reason why they can't fix it. Um, it's going to be, I guess, it's going to be interesting really to see how they fix it and how quickly they go about fixing it because they don't enjoy that same competitive position that they enjoyed perhaps five years ago. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Matt Saunders in Nesselton, Ontario. I was hoping you could explain the effects of currency change on stock purchases. I'm in Canada and our dollar is quite low compared to the US dollar. However, it wasn't too many years ago we peaked a little higher than the US dollar. My concern is that if I buy a US company at this point and the dollar rises again, will that work against the value of the US company that I purchase? Or does buying uh, on the TSX, compensate for that somehow. Thanks for your help with this. P.S. Please tell Steve Broido we just made a trip to Orlando and had a great visit to an Olive Garden there. Definitely a fan. <laughs> Steve will appreciate that, I'm sure. Yeah, well, thanks for listening for all the way from Ontario. Um, this is a question that we, we receive quite often in Stock Advisor Canada, Pro Canada, and now Dividend Investor Canada. Uh, we put a special report about this a couple years back, and uh, over those couple years, not much has changed. You've uh, remained to see the Canadian dollar still trading below the U.S. dollar. I think right now it's around 75 cents to the U.S. dollar. Um, and as he did mention earlier in this uh, in the 2000s, the the Canadian dollar did peak around a dollar 20 to the U.S. dollar. So um, that ramp up really did kind of cramp. Canadian uh, investors' returns when you look at it from investing in the U.S. dollar. Um, when the Canadian dollar does appreciate, you lose a little bit. You lose a little bit there um, when you when you sell back into the Canadian market. And so, what we generally tell our members to do is, if a we absolutely recommend investing in the U.S. market because when you look at the Canadian market, um, about two thirds of it relies on energy, financials, and the material sector, uh, two very volatile sectors in the energy and material sector, and then financials. Um, really, the bulk of that is derived by the big banks, TD, Scotia, CIBC, um, BMO, and, uh, and RBC. And so, you're very highly concentrated if you don't move outside of the Canadian market. Uh, when you look at the largest sector in the U.S., IT, I think that's uh, around Almost 22% of the S&P. Uh, it's 2.7% of the S&P TSX. So you're missing out on, on a lot of potential growth there. And less than 1% of the S&P TSX is healthcare. 
And if you think about that, you're missing out on some huge potential growth there. It was a little higher, but Valiant obviously uh, reduced the share of that overall uh, market when that fell precipitously over the last couple of years. Um, but the long-term average of this of the Canadian dollar to the U.S. dollar is right around 85 cents. So there's not much. There's about 13 percent upside from where it is right now until it reaches the long-term average. I think we have information going back to 1971 on our site. So that's over 30, 40 years of data with the long-term average of 85 cents to the U.S. dollar. So you're not far away from that. So um, compared to that 120 that you saw in the early 2000s. We, we view that as kind of a, a one-off event, especially with oil where it is these days and, and the likelihood that it remains fairly subdued as compared to when it was over $100, which coincidentally timed very well with uh, when it was peaking with the, with the U.S. dollar there. So, we, do, we, we obviously advocate people considering the Canadian dollar to the U.S. dollar exchange rate, but we're not going to, we don't say just invest Canadian only. Um, Put some dollars into a separate account, leave them there for the long term so that you don't have to pay the, the cost to exchange back and forth because banks do charge for that. Um, and you don't get charged if a company pays you US dollar dividend and you leave it in US dollars. You don't get charged every time they deposit the dividend to your account. You only get charged if you put it back into CAD. So if you're a long term investor, we just say, Create two accounts, one with the Canadian dollars and one with U.S. dollars, and let it ride. Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on tons of opportunity. Um, TSX and TSX Venture stocks make up about 20% of the Toronto total stocks. Stock Exchange. Yep, um, make up about 20% of the total stocks available to you in U.S. markets. So not only are you missing out on diversification, but you're missing out on opportunity in terms of breadth of choices. So. Don't let don't let the currency fluctuations scare you away from it. Is our is our opinion? You've been to the Toronto Stock Exchange, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Were we you? went up there a few years ago. Um, kind of you know, poked around when we were first launching Stock Advisor Canada yeah. in 2013. Uh, been up there a couple of times since, but not to the same fanfare that we went up there uh, a few years back. Definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, fitting that I'm sitting with two. Proud sons of the Carolinas, because <laughs> uh, for any sports fans out there. The final four is set. We have Gonzaga, we have the University of North Carolina, we have Oregon, and we have, surprisingly, the University of South Carolina. And the potential for an all-Carolina final. Very amazing. And if you think about it this way, I mean, you had Clemson that just won the national championship in, in college football. I mean, there is still the potential, certainly, for the Gamecocks to go in there and win this thing in basketball, mm-hmm. which, I, I mean, that there's no way that's ever been achieved before. I mean, I... They have to win this because there's <laughs> yeah. the likelihood of a potential I mean, rematch with North Carolina in the in the in the final, highly unlikely. I mean, Although this could have, this could boost recruiting. So half half of my half of my about half of my graduating class in high school went to USC. No. the other half the went other to USC. You, yeah, the most, other USC. Most the people East hear Coast. USC yeah. and they think University of <laughs> the East Southern Coast, California, South Carolina. Um, the other half went to Clemson. You know, and then I was like the one sort of lone straggler that just went the opposite direction and went to like a fifteen hundred uh, person, a little liberal arts college. Um, go Wofford Terriers. There you yeah. go. Um, Wait, isn't Wofford in North Carolina? Wofford's in South Carolina. Oh, it is in yeah, South Wofford's Carolina. In okay, South right, Spartanburg. Right. Now you have Davidson. That's in North yeah. Carolina. Okay. Steph Curry. Um, yeah. But yeah, between wow, I mean, this is just. I mean, the, the finish to that game yesterday was the Carolina. Kentucky yeah, the Carolina. Game? Kentucky yeah, my game gosh, was, was unbelievable. Um, I gotta believe that right now the Carolinas are figuring out a way to 
perhaps join together, <laughs> erase that border? <laughs> well, there was there was uh, there was a story I read this morning, and obviously there's so many millions of dollars involved in the NCAA basketball tournament. But uh, one of the stories I read this morning was about the business impact in North and South Carolina, mm-hmm. and not surprisingly, bars, restaurants. Uh, just doing huge business over the weekend, and presumably we'll do it again yeah. next weekend. So that'd be like one of those things in an earnings report where that's one of those one-time events, right? Right. <laughs> so when you're saying like, well, now we don't expect this next March, <laughs> but we had a very robust uh, beginning of of 2017 thanks to you're saying Jason's um, barbecue <laughs> and sports bar in South Carolina when it's reporting uh, earnings in the spring of 2018. It's like, look, tough comp. Last year we had the Final. Four. We had we had Clemson in the football. Seriously, yeah, Clemson USC's got to catch up. Maybe think about extending Tobacco Road a little further south. Why not? Was the I don't know how big the concentration of Buffalo Wild Wings is in the Carolinas, but I do remember quite a few that. um, And this was two years ago. Uh, when Tom Brady was first suspended by the NFL and he was going to miss four games, and this was going into the the fall of 2015, I do remember that on a conference call, there was an analyst who asked CEO Sally Smith, and this analyst had the numbers and basically said, here's how many Buffalo Wild Wings locations are in New England. Tom Brady is going to miss... At that, and he ended up appealing and not missing, but he he missed the first four of of this most recent season. But it was basically, and I think it was, I give credit to this analyst. He did Outside his homework. The box. It's yeah. just like, hey, look, you got a bunch of Buffalo Wild Wings locations in New England. The star quarterback of the of the home team is going to miss the four, first four games. Are you factoring that into your, you know? All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman. Thanks for being here, guys. Cheers. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>